Well, greetings and salutations, everybody. Welcome to my YouTube channel. My name is John Campia, and this is part two of our special open spoiler discussion of the brand new MCU film, The Eternals. Now, of course, we did part one two days ago on Sunday. It was great. I think we went like two and a half hours. I don't think we even got halfway through all in two and a half hours, all of the observations and opinions and questions that you guys sent in. So here we are to pick up where we left off and get through all the remaining ones that you guys sent. So this is part two. Now, I should give the warning, even though it's in the title. This is an open spoiler discussion. So if you don't know anything about Eternals, if you're still planning on going to see it, or whatever, you may want to navigate away from this video and come back once you've seen the movie. But if you've already seen it or you don't care, then by all means, keep going on with this video. So let's not waste any time and get right to it, shall we? We're going to start things off here with, where are we at? We're at Suthius, who writes, Fastos and Sprite hit me the most with their inner struggle. Teared up when she happily told Cersei she understands that one day she'll die as a human. I thought that was a beautiful moment, although I will say this, with the Sprite moment, I wish they alluded to her desire to be human a little bit earlier in the film, but I still thought it was a very nice end for the character. I just thought maybe they should have alluded that a little bit more, and Fastos's story was great. Uh, next up, Luke1234 writes, You talk about the fantastic within the mundane and how no one reacts anymore, but I loved when Arashem shows up to Earth and everybody freaks out. Yeah, listen, that is one of my big complaints about particularly the MCU right now is that every street corner now has somebody with superpowers on it. Like nobody blinks. Even when in the beginning of a movie, when like deviants are attacking, like everybody's scared because there's something dangerous going on, but it's like, oh, okay, yeah. So that was a big monster. And there was somebody flying through the sky, shooting lasers out of their eyes. It's just normal now in that world. There, there's no longer that sense of the fantastical within the mundane, but yes, when Arshim shows up, it kind of flips, like, that's a whole different story, right? So you're right. I thought that was really good. Uh, Suthius also writes, I didn't mind that Kingo stepped down from the final confrontation. Having at least one Eternal being neutral made sense to me with the dilemma given. I completely agree. I thought that worked well for the story, that one out of the Eternals had to kind of agree with Icarus, but I am not going to attack and hurt my family at the same time. And so I think narratively it made sense and was appropriate that one of them kind of stayed out of it for that. And I agree. Suthius also writes, Makari sonic boom punches and hits ain't no joke. Dude, that's why I put up that tweet. I said, Makari will fuck you up. I thought she was great in this. Suthius also writes, curious to know who will portray Dane's uncle. I never care about X actor and X role. More interesting to me is, how are they going to portray his uncle in this, if you know anything from the comic books? That's the bigger question. All right. Uh, JW writes, one of two. The movie lost me when it's revealed Arashem created the Eternals to defeat the Deviants. They are robots. Well, I don't know that we can call them robots. At any rate, they are robots, so why did he give them emotions? I think there's two things there. Well, first, let's get to part two of your thing. Uh, they were sent to Earth for one job. Giving them Earth-like appearances and characteristics is a recipe for disaster. Get some T-1000s and job done. Well, see, I think this. Number one, I don't really know what we call the Eternals. They're not robots. They're cybernetic to an extent, but there's obviously still a lot of biological things to them. So I'm not quite sure how to classify them. But to me, it makes sense because if they're going to go to these worlds, they got to be able to blend in. 
If they're going to be on these worlds for thousands of years, they've got to be able to blend in a little bit. And that's why I think he created them that way. So to me, that makes more sense. To me, that makes a lot more sense. But that's just me. All right, thanks, JW. Next up, JW also writes, Is there any correlation between the number of Eternals 10 and Shang-Chi's 10 rings? They created rings to combine their powers coincidence. The one theory I have, and I'm not even confident about this theory, like even a little, but the one theory I have is, since Eternals have been around for millions and millions and millions and millions and millions of years, that wouldn't it stand to reason that at least one other time, remember their memories are always erased, that at least one other time they faced the same conundrum and decided to try to stop an emergence and Fastos, or another version of Fastos, came up with those rings and those rings are what Shang-Chi has. Because remember, they're like, older than their recorded history, according to Dr. Banner. So, I mean, I, I'm i not saying they are. Again, I'm not even really buying into this theory myself, even though I'm the one saying it. But, I mean, there there could be something there that Shang-Chi's Ten Rings might be rings that were created by Fastos at another world. I mean, I don't know. I, wild guess out of my ass. All right, Eric Lynch writes, the third act is fantastic. I've never seen an action sequence that cool with the team versus Icarus. I love that final battle. Dude, I am so with you. I love that final battle. Like, and way, the way each of the Eternals had an opportunity to really show off their stuff. Like, Makari versus Icarus was my favorite part. But Fastos got to throw down. The master of all technology. Him getting to throw down and use that technology against Icarus, that was fantastic. Athena's fighting style was the most beautiful fighting style to me. So, yeah, that was really, really good. All right, next up. Eric Lynch also writes, I love Richard Madden. He is phenomenal. His character is now officially the first MCU Superman copycat, although he's not on the same power level. Yeah, I mean, he doesn't have super breath. He doesn't have x-ray vision. He does, there's a, There are two similar powers, flight and some kind of energy blast from his eyes. So those are the two. Superman carries with him an entire menu of various types of superpowers. Hell, in Superman 2, he even has Saran Wrap S that he can throw onto his enemies and wraps them up. Remember that? That one was a little bit crazy. But I did love Icarus in this. Uh, Holod Love sends hashtag Thanos was right. I, I, you said that in before. I don't agree. All right, next up. Spencer Smothers writes, so funny coincidence. I watched Eternals right after attending a Patton Oswalt stand-up show here in Detroit. That's great. I had no idea he was in the post-credits. That would be kind of fun. You go to see a show, the next day you go to a movie, and there's his voice in there runs again. I just wish the CGI on Pip was better. That was really bad CGI, so I'm sure they'll do it better next time. All right, Casey Mack writes, well, John, looks like Marvel's about to start the hype train for Blade Up. That was Mahershala Ali's voice in the last end credit scene. Yes, it was. I remember I wasn't totally sure. The second time I saw him, like, no, that's Mahershala Ali's voice. A lot of people thought it might have been Jeffrey Wright's voice, the Watcher, and said, oh, my gosh, this is a big crossover with What If. No, it wasn't. Uh, it's Mahershala Ali, and it's going to be really neat to see how they work him in. All right, Anthony Lero, watch, watch, or writes, I really liked Eternals, loved the moral dilemma and existential themes, especially God slash free will, God-like entities having to let bad things happen, etc. I mean, seriously, it is that stuff, Anthony, that has been absent in things like the MCU. Well, Thor's, yeah, I know Thor and Odin, but that's that was those were completely different thematic entities. The fact that, you know, these struggles... These existential questions, not just moral dilemmas, but absolute existential crises of 
gods versus free will, uh, loyalty versus, you know, an ethical compass, a moral compass. I mean, these types of really big, monstrous, universal spanning themes, I thought is kind of what set this movie apart from uh, the rest of the MCU. Not better than the MCU, but kind of set it apart as being very unique within the MCU. All right, thanks for sharing that, Anthony. Excellent point. All right, next up. We've got uh, Anthony again who writes, If Celestials need populated planets, why wouldn't they try to stop Thanos from trying to wipe out half the universe? If you watch the part one of the spoiler uh, video, when I started off the show, I spent the first 20 minutes, 30 minutes talking about my thoughts, and I went over my positives and negatives. That was one of the negatives to me. This this whole excuse of, well, we couldn't stop Thanos because we were told not to interfere. Now, granted, the rest of the Eternals didn't know their true mission, but Ajax did protect the growth of the population to get intelligent life on Earth to the point that there's enough to feed the emergence. If that's the case, then an alien entity showing up, threatening to wipe out half of that intelligent life, I'm sorry, but logic dictates that becomes very much a part of the prime uh, directive to you know borrow from Star Trek. That becomes a very much a part of the prime directive of the Eternal. So I agree. That part did not make sense to me. They should have thought that out better. I agree, Anthony. All right. Uh, Reven Norona uh, just sends a super chat badge to be supportive. Thank you, Ren. Uh, Jasmine Jones writes, I thought the movie was gone definitely. Let me try this again. I thought the movie was gone definitely different from the other MCU movies, and I don't think it deserves the review score that it got. I thought the cast had great chemistry together. I think the cast had wonderful wonderful chemistry together, with the one exception of maybe, maybe Angelina Jolie's Thena. Now, there's a lot I liked about Thena in it, but what I said in part one was, it kind of felt like Chloe Zhao and Angelina Jolie couldn't really decide on who Thena is. Like, they know what she can do, they know what her relationship with Gilgamesh is, but who is she? At her core, who is she? And I felt like they never really figured that out before they started the movie. That's just the way I kind of interpreted it myself. But yes, on that, I thought the portrayals were great. I thought the chemistry in the, with the characters was great. I thought there was an awful lot about this movie to like. Thanks, Jasmine. Next up, uh, we've got The Eighth Rights. What on earth were some people watching? Let's put it this way. I had the same reaction you did to your out-of-theater Shang-Chi. Thank you, Chloe. I mean, hey, man, that's the beauty of the subjectivity of film, right? People are going to watch movies as art, and art hits every person in its own very unique and different way. So some people are going to like it, some people aren't. And, uh, I mean, I'm with you, man. I like this movie quite a bit. I don't think it's as good as Shang-Chi, but I did like this movie quite a bit, and I'm glad you did too, man. All right, Andrea Valento uh, Valentova writes, The story was awesome, and I think Chloe Zhao was the perfect director for it. I, I agree. I think if you're going to take that kind of a chance and make that kind of a movie in the MCU, maybe not specifically Chloe Zhao, but definitely a director like Chloe Zhao is the one to do it. So I agree with you. All right, next up, Evelyn Jacara writes, I actually really love this movie. I love how Zhao knows audiences can keep up with nonlinear storytelling and was free to change the time we were in. I agree. I really like the way they went back and forth. It reminds me a lot of like the Highlander, right? 
how the Highlander told its story of, of hopscotching back and forth between different time periods to tell their narrative. And I really like that approach to a movie like Eternals, a movie that spans 7,000 years. I thought that was the right approach. Thanks for that, Evelyn. Uh, Evelyn also writes, for me, Icarus had the best story. While not my favorite, we get why he does what he does. And while I hated him for it, I saw how he suffered for it. And listen, Evelyn, I love this character because, and I mentioned this in part one, my fav- one of my all-time favorite fictional characters at all. Like, my number one all-time fictional character is Boromir from Lord of the Rings. Just because I think he's fascinating, the struggle that he has, and his failings, and his redemption, and all that kind of stuff. But one of my other absolute favorite characters in all of fiction, whether it be movies, TV shows, comic books, stage plays, is the character of Javert from Les Mis. A guy with an absolute moral North Star commitment to the law. He believes like the law, uh, following the law is paramount to following God, literally. And he wants to please God and his whole idea is you please God, you please the Lord by following the law. But at one point, as he's after Jean Valjean, really pursuing him for decades, And then finding out that Jean Valjean actually saved his life. And now he's stuck in this conundrum of, do I arrest Jean Valjean and drag him in? That's what the law dictates I do. But he saved my life. I owe him. There's a moral imperative there. Do I let him go? And so Javert decides to let him go, but he cannot now reconcile his foundational belief in the law with his actions of letting Jean Valjean go. And it breaks him, and he sees no other way out but to commit suicide by throwing himself off a bridge. Because he can't reconcile those two parts of his mind in that part. That finale with Icarus was very much an homage to Jean Valjean and Les Mis. Icarus, who firmly believes in his created purpose of not just serving the Celestials, but the plan of the Celestials. But when it came down to it, he could not bring himself to kill Suri, the woman he loves. Even in service to the Celestials, and their plan for the universe. And it breaks him. And like Javert, he then sees no other way out. He cannot live with what he's done. He has no place anymore. And he ultimately kills himself by being Icarus and flying too close to the sun or right into the sun as it would be. And I thought it was straight up Shakespearean, Evelyn. It was straight up Shakespearean. All right. Evelyn also writes. Uh, where are we at here? Evelyn also writes. Uh, I love Druig. I love Druig too. Uh, in this, his power is awesome, and I could see the conflict he had with humans and other Eternals. Also, I love his moments with the Makari. Uh, Druig's chemistry with Makari might have been my absolute favorite element of this movie. I, I really loved it. Uh, John Emir Singleton writes, "You look good as an Eternal in the thumbnail, John. That's that's all Ray. 
Give Ray all the credit for that. I told Ray, Ray, I need a thumbnail for the uh, Eternals Open spoiler discussion, and Ray put that together. He did an absolutely fabulous job with that, so shout out to Ray. All right, Ronnie Y writes, Shang-Chi got us introduced to more fantastical elements, so that helped Eternals feel more like an MCU movie than it otherwise would have. I loved it. You see, to me, what made... Uh, Ronnie, the MC or what made Eternals feel so different was not the fantastical elements. It was the existential and philosophical things about it. It was the universal scope of it. It was asking like big questions kind of stuff. So that's what made it really unique to me. But I'm glad you had that experience with it, dude. All right, next up, Anthony C writes, I immensely like this movie so much depth and heart. I agree. Look, I have my issues with the movie. I do. If you guys saw part one, I went on at length about the issues I have with the movie. But overall, I thought it did have a lot of depth and heart. Jay Meister 25 writes, I thought Eternals was great. I do think Sprite's stance on things was rushed. But that's really my only complaint. Druig was amazing, and I would argue he cared the most about humans. Also, Arashem. Wow. Yeah, Arashem. And, and I agree. I was saying that a little bit earlier, Jay Meister, that the one complaint, I because I thought Sprite's ending in the movie was beautiful. But the only reason it felt rushed, and it really wasn't rushed, but I think the reason it felt rushed to people like you and me is the fact that if they had just one point earlier in the film, act one, act two, at any point, if we even saw Sprite, you know, even say two words, or like three words, to be human, or, or something, something that would you know, hint to us that there's this inner desire in Sprite. And we never really got that until out of nowhere at the end, I want to be human, right? So I think, and, and it still worked, but I thought if they had just even dropped one line somewhere earlier in the film, it would have made it feel maybe just a, a little more natural. But hey, that's just my thoughts on that, Jay Meister. Uh, Jay Meister also writes, I totally understood where Icarus was coming from as a patriot and as a, uh, boy, I don't know how to pronounce this. What? Uh, util, utilitarianist? A utilitarianist? I'm not quite sure I know what a utilitarianist is. Uh, to him, billions of planets were more important than one, and he couldn't live with the consequences of stopping Tiamat. You know, I don't think Tiamat was going to create billions of planets. Remember, they're talking about billions of lives. So probably, you know, one solar system, one sun, one solar system, but still... That's the thing. He was he had an absolute commitment to his creators and a commitment to their plan. And then he couldn't reconcile that with the love he had for Cersei. And I love the character. At the end of the day, he's he's the Javert of the MCU. He's absolutely the Javert of the MCU. Uh, JW writes, Chloe confirmed the end credits voice was Blade. Yes, she did. She confirmed it herself, which is exciting. Official friend zone writes, I love that username. Uh, loved it to pieces. It felt more than the typical MCU slash DC film, which is a refreshing change in a time where we have so many superhero projects a year. I agree. You know, I'm actually a little bit, you know, I love my superhero content. I mean, it's just Ask Henry. I love superhero content. But, yeah, you. it's going to be a struggle to keep it feeling fresh and new and different when you have so much of it being created. And I thought Eternals was a really good response to that. All right, uh, next up. Official Friend Zone also writes, if Spider-Man No Way Home is awesome, when Spider-Man No Way Home is awesome, could this be the best comic book movie year? No, no, I don't think so. I mean, look, just going back to 2018, I mean, it's going to be all subjective. But even just going back to 2018, um, when you had, I mean, just 
Black Panther, Infinity War, Spider-Man into the Spider-Verse. I mean, that alone, and I think there was one or two other projects that year, but just that alone. And there was other great years too. So um, even if Spider-Man in, in No Way Home is awesome, and I am assuming it's going to be awesome, I don't think that this would necessarily be the greatest year for comic book movies ever. All right, next up, we go to Suthius, who writes, how exactly... How exactly is Thanos an Eternal? We don't know that he is in the MCU. Uh, this movie told us that Eternals are non-reproductive synthetic beings, but then again, uh, has it ever been confirmed that Thanos is an Eternal? Nope. With Deviant Gene? Nope. In the MCU? Nope. Or are we just saying that based on the comics? Well, there's a couple things to keep in mind here, Suthius. We know very little about how the Eternals physically work, Right? There's clearly a biological element to what they are. I mean, we saw Icarus and Cersei grinding uglies on in the desert, right? So there's a biological element there. I mean, the Eternals never even knew they were at least, at the very minimum, partially cybernetic. So we really don't know. And we don't know that they can or cannot reproduce. Nothing told us that they couldn't. I mean, Arashim's a pretty smart dude. So we simply, I mean, the bottom line answer is we don't know. But so far, there has been nothing in the Eternals uh, or nothing in the MCU to suggest Thanos is an Eternal, at least not until Arrow shows up, calls himself Thanos' brother, and proclaims himself to, that he is an Eternal. Hello, my fellow Eternals. I mean, so does that mean he's a created Eternal, like Cersei? Does it mean he is the offspring of Eternals? Does that mean that is Thanos his actual biological brother? Or were they just like best friends for centuries and proclaim themselves to be brothers and he refers to himself as brother of Thanos? I mean, I don't know. The reality is it just leaves us with a lot of open questions there. Good questions to have, though. All right, next up. My Comic Planet writes, one of three. My favorite was Makari. God, I loved her in this movie. Uh, to me, her scenes in the movie were the most enjoyable. From the amazing action scenes with her fighting Icarus uh, with her speed to the more subtle moments like when she showed how much she liked Druig with her infectious smile. I loved her infectious smile. Um, loved the chemistry they had. My only complaint is that I wanted to see more of her. On Twitter, people are loving her character. Do you think we will see more of her in other MCU movies? Absolutely. I don't, listen, you and I are not alone, my comic planet. There are a lot of people out there who absolutely loved Makari. Actually, one of the most liked tweets I have uh, over the past month or so is this one tweet. Uh, I'll see if I can bring it up here. Is this one tweet I put up about Makari. Uh, this tweet about Makari put up said, side note, holy shit, do not fuck with Makari. Best speedster I've seen in film. Makari will fuck you. It has almost 4,000 likes on it, which is like one of the most popular tweets I've put up this month. So, I mean, people clearly like, and then another one that was popular was the one I put up right before that, just talking about the uh, relationship. I said, look, I totally ship Druig and Makari, and I normally don't like many couples in comic book movies so you and i are not alone man i think a lot of people really do like makari and i think we were absolutely going to see more of her she was just charming so charming i especially want to see her more with druig all right uh let's see next up we got ryan loner who writes after all the speculation about surprise characters i really was not expecting icarus to actually be homelander well i mean he wasn't listen 
he was at least trying to do what he thought was right. Like Kingo puts it really well at the end. All we can do is try to follow our heart. That's all you were doing. You're doing what you thought was right. You're following your heart. So is Icarus. I mean, Homelander is just all about Homelander. Icarus was trying to serve something bigger than himself. And that's what I thought made him interesting, at least more interesting than, say, Homelander. And I love the Homelander character. Orion Loner also writes, I can't wait for all the Avengers to learn this is why Earth was created. Hawkeye, you're up first. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know. It's going to be... One of the things I tweeted about and I wrote about after I first saw Eternals for the first time was it made everything else in the MCU feel small. It made everything else in the universe seem small. I mean, Arashem is coming. Does it matter that Ant-Man stopped Yellow Jacket in Ant-Man? Arashem is coming. Arashim is coming. Does it matter that Black Widow was able to reunite with her surrogate parents and fight this bad Russian guy? Does any of that matter? Arashim is coming. Even Thanos. It's like, what is Thanos in the face of Arashim, the being who was around before the Infinity Stones even existed? I. It, it, this is, yeah, yeah. It, it, it really raises questions about where the MCU is going to go from here. Colin Z writes, one touching moment is when Karun, I love Karun in this movie, by the way. Uh, certainly, uh, sorry, one touching moment is when Karun, certain that the world is going to end, still takes the time to thank the Eternals for what they've done for humanity. I get choked up just thinking about it. It was really cool is that as he gives that speech, the camera then goes to Druig, who had given him such a hard time earlier in the movie, making him throw his camera against the wall. And even Druig, I mean, Karun is just this temporary little human to him, but even Druig, with that little speech Karun gave, even Druig gave him a, a like, right? I loved, I love Karun in this movie. I want to see more of him. He's the Eternals version of Luis in Ant-Man, um, but very different, of course. All right, Jacob Worman writes, did you notice how Dane called Cersei King Midas? Uh, and then she saved the day by turning the gold celestial to marble. I like the poetry in that. There was poetry in that. And by the way, I'm glad you pointed it out because about turning him into stone, a lot of people, I think because of the mist, thought that Cersei froze Tiamat. She didn't. She turned him into stone. And when somebody tried to argue with me about that, I said, just watch the end of the movie again. Because when they're all back at Fastos's house and they're watching the newscast, the newscast says, still a lot of questions surrounding the giant stone statue that appeared in the middle of the Indian Ocean. It's, it's, he's not frozen. She killed him. She turned him into stone. All right, next up. Uh, Remmer Bulldog writes, uh, I'm glad that the third act was the way it was and not this huge CGI battle between Deviants and Eternals. I thought it was a more effective third act. I agree. I absolutely agree. The Deviants were really a side note in this movie. They were really a side note. If they were trying to build us up to this, it's all about the Deviants and the Eternals, they never really accomplished that. They really did feel like a side note in this movie all the way through, and really nothing more than cannon fodder for the uh, Eternals to show off their powers. All right, Tob, Todd Kaepernick writes, whose spaceship did it better, the, the Domo circa 2001 or the Borg Cube circa 1990? Man, that final CGI takeoff had me laughing how bad it looked. Are you talking about like when Fastos and his son are there and watching the Domo fly away? I thought it looked pretty good. I thought the acceleration of it like like looked very much sci-fi futuristic. But the Borg cube, and just the Borg themselves, is like honestly one of the all-time great uh 
uh, uh, not literary, but on the screen villains uh, we've had in a long time. All right, Lucas Gordon writes. Hey, John, I very much enjoyed The Eternal. So did I. Knowing that Feige isn't reactionary, do you think we'll still get a proper sequel despite all the mixed reactions? Uh, thanks for the great show and all you do. I don't know. Look, I, the reality is I don't know if the plan was ever to do a proper sequel. I don't know if that was ever the plan. You know, the movie ends with saying The Eternals will return. But that doesn't necessarily mean Eternals 2. It could be something else, right? But then again, you've now got Thena, Makari, and Druig, and Eros. There are four Eternals. Maybe that's Eternals too. I mean, I don't know for sure. But again, I what I don't think is that Kevin Feige is going to change his plan. He's not changing his plan. I just don't know if a proper sequel was ever part of the plan or just to use the Eternals and other properties. We'll have to wait and see, Lucas. Great question. All right, next up, we got Ryan Loner who writes, it's now explicit that DC Comics exist in the MCU. Yeah, I don't know why they wouldn't. I'm imagining Clint watching Arrow and saying, did that, did that, did that, did that. That's funny, yeah. I mean, yeah, look, um, McDonald's exist in the MCU. Why wouldn't DC comic books? Star Wars exist in the MCU. Why wouldn't Star Wars comic books? But they did seem to reference DC a lot in this movie. That was kind of funny. All right, My Comic Planet writes, one of two. The post credit scene with Dane Whitman revealing the ebony blade. We also got a vocal cameo from Herschel Ali's blade confirmed by Chloe Zhao. Yep. And, you know, you, you recognize, I mean, that voice is pretty distinct. How they're going to match those two up, though, is going to be really, really interesting to see. But it is interesting. Why not show them? I mean, wouldn't that have been more exciting for the audience to show them? Because I, I got to imagine, like, a lot of the average moviegoers which represent probably 95% of the people who went. Number one, maybe don't even know Mahershala Ali is coming. Maybe wouldn't be able to pick out Mahershala Ali's voice. And if they did recognize, hey, is that the voice of the actor Mahershala Ali? They probably don't know he's going to be playing Blade. I thought it was still a great post-credits scene, don't get me wrong, but I agree. I think it would have been more effective if they actually showed his face in it too. All right, next up, uh, we go to... Uh, oh, that was only part one of two. Part two, two. Very cool that we will be seeing two Marvel sword boys in action. How do you see the Black Knight role in the MCU? No idea. Because remember, the, the thing that makes questions like that very hard for all of us to speculate about is the fact that Kevin Feige will deviate from what they do in the comics. And we could see a Black Knight that has a very different power set than he does in the comics, very different nature. So it's really hard to see. But... I don't want to see Dane deviate from what his purpose is. Clearly, the whole reason he's going to the sword is because he's got to, he's trying to figure out a way to save Cersei. So I hope it at least ties into that before we see other things going to. Or maybe he needs to help Blade do something first before Blade helps him try to figure out a way to save Cersei. Who knows? All right, Emily S. writes, uh, Thought Eternals was great. Think I liked Shang-Chi better. I definitely did. But Eternals definitely has stuck with slash challenged me more, which I appreciate. I agree. It is a movie... Somebody else put it really well the other day. It is a movie that made me think about it again the day after I saw it. I was still thinking about it. That's a, that's the sign of a movie that really resonates with you, Emily. So I agree, and I like... I mean, I definitely like Shang-Chi more, but I absolutely did enjoy this movie. Seen it so four times so far. All right, my comic planner writes, one of two. When Star Fox was revealed as a comic 
as a comic collector, it made me wonder if I might have the comic. After checking my stash last night, I found Avengers 232. Uh, if I get it graded, could be worth $500 to $700 or more when he shows up in the next MCU film. Pretty cool. Listen, all I know is, I don't know if he still does. My buddy Rodney, um, who for those of you who've watched me for a long time, has done stuff with me back in the movie blog days. He was one of the first guests we ever had on Jedi Council. Anyway, he's buddy of mine still lives up in Canada. And he and I and a few other friends used to live in a house together. And my buddy Rodney is one of those guys, you know those big comic book box crates? He had tons of them. He had tons of them. He had thousands and thousands and thousands of comics. I don't know if he still has them. I certainly hope he does because some of them are going to be worth a lot, especially if he's got a bunch of the Eternals runs. All right. Uh, good luck with that comic planet. Joseph Michael writes, uh, where are we again? Okay. Joseph Michael writes, uh, hopefully uh, the B cinema score and possibly lower than expected box office won't cause major panic at Marvel slash Disney. I don't really think the box office was much lower than what they were expecting. I mean, Shang-Chi and Eternals are two completely unknown properties to most people, uh, to most of the movie average moviegoers. They've never heard of Shang-Chi. They've never heard of the Eternals. They never heard. Of, and this one seems a little bit more heady where Shang-Chi looked like boom, bang action. You know what I mean? to appeal to the average film goer and stuff like that. And Shang-Chi opened to 75, Eternals opened to 71. I mean, they opened pretty much identically. So I don't think, and they were popping bottles when Shang-Chi made 75. So maybe they're not popping bottles about the 71 that Eternals made, but I, I can't imagine it's much off from what they were hoping for. It's got to be at least be pretty close. All right, next up. Uh, Dino Vader writes, just say... Just say hello from Switzerland. Watch you every day. Thanks a thousand times for your great work. Oh, thank you so much for that, Dino. It's always really nice when somebody just wants to write and say something encouraging. Appreciate that. Ah, uh, 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 writes, do a barrel roll. Press Z or R twice. Uh, get it? Star Fox. Ha <laughs> uh, ha. Well pointed out. All right, next up. Uh, Hoser Mias writes, after watching the Eternals, I feel like that Galactus, I feel like that Galactus is coming and he will be suing Suing the help of Eros. Uh, Galactus fought the Celestials in the comics. Yes, Galactus did fight the Celestials in the comics. Uh, I think a couple of times in the stories. Uh, I think he was beaten by the Celestials, if I'm not mistaken. I'll have to go back and, and look into that again. But yes, uh, I don't know when and if Galactus is going to show up. You know, here's the thing. I almost feel like having Celestials renders Galactus kind of redundant. I, it depends on how Kevin Feige wants to tell that story. But couldn't you say that? I mean, doesn't... I mean, when you look at the Celestials, right? Doesn't it kind of feel like at this point now, a Galactus would just be sort of redundant? It's like, oh, isn't that just a Celestial? And I don't know, maybe, maybe Kevin Feige... Again, they make lots of... They take um, different approaches than the comic books. They take lots of liberties with the comic books. Uh, maybe they'll just straight up say Galactus is a celestial. Don't know. We'll have to wait and see. All right, next up. Uh, Casey Mack writes, Gotta say, that ending with the lightning strike, you could see a big version of Arshim in the sky was a little creepy. Oh, dude, that was menacing as hell. 
like somebody mentioned earlier, like these movies are losing a little bit of the fantastical within the mundane, but Arshem's head showing up in the sky, that that's a whole nother level. All right, Mike Comic Planet writes, for Icarus to assume Fastos made his, tab- his table out of vibranium shows that other vibranium tech might have been aided by Fastos. Maybe. Furthermore, I read he also may have been the source that provided Howard Stark with vibranium for Cap's shield. Hmm. Maybe. But remember, like, the Wakandans had been using vibranium for a long time. But it is an intergalactic substance because vibranium came to Earth via a comet, right? And they've been using it for a long time. So I have a feeling Stark probably got it somehow, some way through Wakanda. But how and where and when, I don't know. But maybe they're going to say it was Fastos. That's possible. All right. Ryan Levin just sends in a super chat badge to be supportive. Thank you, Levin. Appreciate that. Or Ryan. Uh, Min Tran writes, saw the movie on Friday with my usual group. They hated it. I weirdly loved it. I don't know if I loved it more than Shang-Chi, but more than Black Widow. I completely agree. That's that's how I would rank the three MCU films I've seen so far this year. Shang-Chi by a mile, Eternals, Black Widow. I like all of them, but I love Shang-Chi. And I quite like Eternals quite a bit. And I, I like Black Widow. I like Black Widow. You know what I mean? So that's how I've got it uh, orchestrated there, Mintran. Thanks for that. All right, next up, Casey Mack writes, one of two. Who knows when we could see Arshem's judgment? Could be a big storyline where he disagrees with the Eternal's choice of Earth surviving and hit and his choice to send Galactus to come down to Earth, to eat Earth. Because we all know Galactus is the eater of worlds. I mean, they could play it that way. They could. I don't know when... We're going to see him, but it could be any time. And that's why I believe, like a lot, look, after Loki, a lot of people are saying Kang the Conqueror is the next big bad of the MCU. And I've been saying for a while, I'm not sure that he is. I think he's going to be a significant villain in the MCU, but I don't think he's the next Thanos level threat. After I saw Eternals, I'm like, Celestials are the next threat. Celestials are the next big impending doom. That's it. Kang's going to be a big bad guy. But the Celestials are the next big problem. That will what they're the Avengers level level threat, right? I don't even know how the Avengers deal with this, to be honest with you. What's Hulk gonna do? All right. Uh Min Tran writes. For me, one of three. This movie weirdly has the same problem as Wonder Woman. I dislike the third act. In this case, about 20 minutes before the third act and probably a little before the Icarus heel turn is revealed. The movie felt like it was dragging then, and I feel like the movie may have, um, may have, may have been... Uh, better without a villain. On a personal level, I wish that there was more than one scene with both John and Rob on screen together. Yeah, but then that's just a gimmick, right? That's just a gimmick. But it really was fun being in the audience when Rob Stark and Jon Snow come face to face and have that moment. It was also really fun at the end of the film hearing Jon Snow say, I love you, Cersei. Something about that just feels really weird. I, I disagree with that part about it dragging. I mean, look, I, I've said before, I do think there are some moments of the film that have pacing issues, but they were isolated to me. Uh, for me, it worked. But hey, man, for you, it didn't as well as it did for me. So thanks for sharing your perspective on it. All right, next up. Uh, Ryan Lavin writes, 
I liked Eternals, but not by much. They took some risks with deaths and the Icarus heel turn. I liked all that. Uh, my problem was the movie felt very remote and limited. Other than the 10 Eternals, there are very few supporting cast members. That's true. Uh, every scene felt like the same 10 people. Even the locations felt isolated. Seeing the Eternals bounce off each other was fun, uh, but I would have liked to have seen more interaction with other forces. In Guardians, for example, we see them in conflict with the Nova Corps, Ronin, the Ravagers, and each other. This makes their world feel rich and three-dimensional. Uh, Eternals gave me very little of that, and the little it did give was with CGI characters that had little personality. See, I, I agree, but that is part of the inevitable trade-off you're going to have to make. Like, if you want to have all this history and these 10 main characters, which is, you know, correct my math, twice as many as five main characters, there's only so much you can do. Like, if you want to have many other characters besides, say, Dane, uh, for them to interact with and blah, blah, that's fine, but then you're going to have to take a scalpel and cut four of the Eternals out of the movie. You got to say the Eternals are these six characters, right? Because if you want to have ten core characters, you got to give each of them personality, a little bit of depth, some screen time, and then set up multiple inter-character dynamics and all that kind of stuff. And you got to make a decision. Do we go with 10 Eternals? Or do we take a scalpel, cut away maybe four of them, and open up more screen time to have the six that remain, have more interactions, maybe some significant characters from different eras that they go through human history and stuff like that. But the problem is you can't have it all. Unless you want to make the movie three and a half hours long, right? So I agree. I think you just made a very keen observation there, Ryan. But I also think it was a creative choice they needed to make because you can't have it both. You can't have a lot of secondary characters in a movie if you've got 10 primary characters. It makes it difficult. I mean, a lot of us were wondering when they're making the first Avengers movie, how the hell are they going to do a movie and give adequate screen time and story to Thor, Hawkeye, Black Widow, Iron Man, and Captain America and Hulk? Well, that's just six characters, and a number of them already had their creation and already gave us some background because they had their own individual movies before that. This, you got 10, and 10 that were all just meeting for the first time. So they got to, they had to make a creative choice there, and I think they made the right choice. I'd rather have all 10 of those characters, but it was at the sacrifice of what you were very accurately pointing out, Ryan. Good observation, man. All right, next up. Mintran writes, by no villains, uh, I don't mean no deviants, I mean no Icarus heel turn and Eternals went and stopped Celestial because the heel face turn felt convoluted. I disagree. I think the heel turn was fantastic. But again, that's coming from a guy who loves the Javert character in Les Mis. It was very much a Javert thing. And I love that type of inner conflict that type of existential crisis that Icarus faced. I thought it was great. Personally, I thought it was great. But it didn't work for you, and I respect that, man. All right, next up, Colby writes, Loved Eternals, and I cannot wait to see more of them. I had a really good time, and I'm very much looking forward to seeing more of them on screen too, man. All right, Mintran again writes in, one of two. Did you get a Justice League vibe when the Eternals first appeared on screen? Icarus, Superman, Thena, Aquaman. Really? You saw Thena as Aquaman? Okay. Ajax, Wonder Woman. 
not really. Uh, Fasto Cyborg, that's a good comparison. Uh, Makari Flash, yep. Durig Martian Manhunter, maybe a little bit. Uh, I don't mean just the powers, but uh, the way they carried themselves on screen too. Well, I definitely don't think... Uh, Thena and Aquaman. I, I didn't see that. And I certainly didn't see Ajax and Wonder Woman. Ajax and Wonder Woman, very different, per- not, not only very different power and, and abilities, but very different personalities as well. And other than the fact that he can fly and have laser eyes, I didn't see a lot of similarities between Icarus and Superman. The Fasto Cyborg, Makarian Flash is obvious, Druig, a little bit of Druig and Mash- Martian Manhunter uh, there too, but I didn't see those other ones. Interesting comparisons there, men. All right, Colby writes. Who were your top three favorite Eternal power-wise? Uh, mine were Thena, Makari, and Fastos. Uh, Gemma Chan was great in this. I also want to see more of Druig and Makari. I don't, I don't know that I have a top three, but I will say this. My favorite way they showed power was Makari. I like the way they do Flash in the DCU, and I like the way they did Quicksilver a lot in like the X-Men universe. But... The way they, the way they presented Makari's power, I thought was the best I've ever seen in a speedster. So I'll, I'll go with that one, Colby. All right, next up, we've got uh, Crashing Coyote who writes, one of two. Loved it because it was a film that raises philosophical questions and makes you think. It doesn't spoon feed you, which can be an issue for some people who need it, who need that. It's complex, not black and white, uh, about movies that seem that seem connected but aren't. Eternals and Green Knight. When Dev Patel comes across Druig, he mind controls him and sends him on the journey for fun. That's pretty cool. But no, I I completely agree with you. It's those things in your part one of your stuff there that this is the type of thing that the MCU has not really gone for before. You know what I mean? They've never really tried to be that before. And this was really their first kick at the can of it. And I thought the results were really, really good. Thanks for sharing that, Crashing. Uh, Colby writes, As you said, all film is subjective, so I can see why people didn't like Eternals, and that's fine. It definitely has its cons, but man, did the pros outweigh them. I agree, the movie has its issues. And like I said, in part one of our spoiler discussion, I went in at length about the issues I had with it. I do, but I completely agree. For me, the positives significantly outweighed the negatives. So I get why it didn't work for some people. Um, I get it. I do. I understand. I have no problems with somebody saying I watched it and I did not like it. I can go, I could see that. But for me, the strengths hit me in such a way that far outweighed the weaknesses. So that's just me. All right. Colby writes, I hated how they, they did Ajax. I wanted more for her, but it was necessary to the story. That's the thing. Story comes before characters. Characters are there to serve the story. So I, I like Ajax a lot. I was hoping to see more of her in the movie, but that is what the story needed for the sake of the story. And that's why they needed to do that. All right. Colby also writes, was so glad that Thena made it to the end of the film because that means more Evangeline Jolie in the MCU. I can't wait to see what her future entails. I agree. And I, I think the next time we see Thena is going to be a better Thena because I think now Angelina Jolie, Chloe Zhao, Kevin Feige are going to develop a better idea about what they want that character to be. Like I said, we know what Thena can do and we know her relationship with Gilgamesh but we didn't really know who she was. And I don't think they knew who she was, but I think we're going to get a better version next time because I think they're going to figure that part out. All right, Colby writes, After seeing Eternals, I believe that Tony Stark and Cap- Captain Rogers will be resurrected, even Black Widow, if Chapek allows. Is that even up to him to decide? Well, I mean, 
first of all, I believe Tony Stark and Captain Rogers come back regardless. And you know, I've been saying that for a long time. I'm not saying it's going to be next year. I'm not saying it's going to be two years. I'm not even necessarily going to be in the next three years. But Steve Rogers, Chris Evans, and Tony Stark, Robert Downey Jr., they will be back. I, I guarantee it they'll be back to some degree or another. As far as, uh, is it even up to Chapek to decide? Well, it's not up to him to decide. That's up to Kevin Feige to decide. But don't forget, Bob Chapek is Kevin Feige's boss. <laughs> like, that's that's it. If Bob Chapek wants, look, you know what the reality is? Bob Chapek doesn't give a shit about the movie division at Disney. He doesn't care squat. I've been to a couple of premieres uh, of Disney movies since, you know, the pandemic recovery has started. I never went, I can't think of one Disney premiere I ever went to that Bob Iger wasn't there showing support for his people. I've been to two since Bob Chapek's become CEO, he didn't bother to show up to either of them. Bob Chapek doesn't care about the movies. He doesn't. He only sees the movies as commodities. That's it. He sees movies as commodities, just like he sees plushy toys as commodities. It's it's very discouraging, whereas Bob Iger really respected the creatives. Anyway, uh, Min Tran. Is that where we're at? Yes, Min Tran writes. Um, I do... I do love the movie. Uh, love how it how dense it is. Love seeing the past of the characters. The cinematography of the past scenes were amazing and beautiful. Uh, how they bounce off each other, and I love the moral the mortal uh, choices. Probably meant moral moral choices they had to face. Both the ones in the middle regarding their relationship with humans, and the final choice of stopping slash killing a celestial. Again, third act just kind of didn't work for me, or Harry Styles as Thanos' brother. Well, I mean, we can't really say whether or not Harry Styles as Eros worked for us because we only saw him for 30 seconds, right? We haven't gotten a real sense of what is this character going to be or how is he going to portray it, right? We got way too small of a sample size, so... Let's give that one a little bit of room to breathe, man. Let's give that one just a little bit of room to breathe. All right, next up, Colby writes, These were new characters. I didn't think I would care if they got hurt, but my heart broke watching Thena mourn Gilgamesh. She's so good. I loved her. You know, I think that was Angelina Jolie's best moment in the movie, Colby, was the death of Gilgamesh. That's, that's the first time I felt like we were seeing into the heart of Thena, and I thought that moment played very well. And I thought that was Angelina Jolie's shining moment in the movie. All right, Colby also writes, Zal confirmed voice and post-credit scene was Blade. Yep, it was Mahershala Ali. All right, Jasmine Jones writes, It's not my favorite MCU movie, but it's still a good movie. The Deviant wasn't the best. Villain Icarus was a better one. Makari and Druig had better chemistry than Cersei and Icarus. I can't wait for more. I agree. But listen, not only do I think... Makari and Druig had better chemistry than Icarus and Cersei. I think Makari and Druig had better chemistry than almost every other comic book couple I've seen, maybe with the exception of Tony and Pepper. And maybe Andrew Garfield and Emma Stone as Gwen and Peter. Uh, I liked it more than Steve and Peggy. I liked it more than Thor and Jane. I liked it more than just about all of them. I, I honestly think that Makari and Druig, even though they didn't get a ton of screen time together, I think they may be a top two. Definitely top three. Absolutely top three, but maybe even a top two best couple I've seen in a comic book movie. All right, and I cannot wait for see more of them together. Colby writes, 
Uh, Makari was a beast in this movie, and it was no slow motion running, just speed, and I shipped Druig and Makari. I said the exact same thing, uh, uh, Colby. I loved how you can just tell they have history. I loved the way they just looked at each other. Just the way they looked at each other made your heart melt. I mean, it, it was a wonderful, wonderful, wonderful chemistry. I thought they did that part so well. All right, uh, Fang Blaze writes, I really like the movie, but it really takes me out when half of the movie is shot in IMAX and half is shot with standard screen size cameras. I don't really mind that, to be honest with you. And to be honest, I saw it in an AMC Prime Dolby cinema, so I didn't notice any difference at all, right? Because it never went to an IMAX perspective. Um so I guess you only saw that in the IMAX screen. But it normally it doesn't bother me at all, to be honest with you. I, I stop noticing. Like, usually I notice it for a second, and that's about it. And then I'm back completely immersed in the movie. But uh, I guess for I can totally see, though, how Fang Blaze, for some people, that would be an issue. Because I, I guess that could be a little bit jarring, I suppose. Thanks for sharing that. Uh, next up, he also writes, I just need to say how much I loved how Gilgamesh just bitch-slapped the deviants into the ground. Dude, I've seen this movie four times. In theaters. Four times. And every time it gets to the part where Gilgamesh, that one deviant comes back off the, off the wall at him and he just bitch slaps it in the ground, the audience cheers and or laughs. It's an amazing moment. I just love, 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 love that moment with Gilgamesh, man. All right, uh, next up. We got Eric Lynch writes, Icarus and Druig were my favorite Eternals. I mean, I, Icarus was great. I... Druig is fantastic. I mean, Druig could have taken over the whole world anytime he wanted. If Druig decided he wanted to rule the world, he could have anytime taken over the entire world all at once. I love that. Icarus was great, but again, Makari was great. Um, I love Cersei. I love Gemma Chan Cersei. There's just so many good ones in there, Eric. All right, Ryan, uh, Ryland Holman writes, I think this is the most cliffhanger ending movie of any MCU film. Might be. I mean, really, when you think about it, the ending of Eternals is Empire Strikes Back. How does Empire Strikes Back end? It ends with Boba Fett capturing Han Solo, loading him up and flying him away into space. And then you've got those left behind going, okay, we got to figure out how to save him. Well, that's how Eternals ends. RMS shows up, takes Cersei, Kingo, and Fastos, takes them away. And now you've got those left behind, not just Dane, but you also got the other Eternals realizing we got to go back and find them in Athena, uh, Druig, and Makari, and now Eros and Pip going, now we got to go find them. It, the ending of Eternals was the ending of Empire Strikes Back. So, yeah, I think I agree with you on that, Rylan. All right, next up. Rylan Holman also writes, I honestly thought since the trailers of all the Eternals to betray... I honestly thought since the trailers... Of all the Eternals who betray them, it would be Druig. Halfway into watching it, I realized it would be Icarus. Yeah, because Druig kind of comes across as a dick. I mean, even that one scene, which is a great moment, when Kingo goes, Druig sucks. I mean, that's that's just a great moment. And you're right. He, he kind of has maybe a little bit of a villain face and all that too. But I thought it was a great... Um, I thought it was a great thing that it was Icarus. And just the, his whole principles... The principles of absolute loyalty to Aramesh, to the plan, to the design of the universe, all that kind of stuff. I thought it was a really good turn. All right, next up. Rylan also writes, I still think there is a 65% chance that Ajax and Gilgamesh are brought back, especially after Cersei is shown the truth by their life by Aramesh. 
Yeah, but they were never killed. See, here's the thing that I think. I think it's possible we could see Gilgamesh and Ajax back, but I think it would be a different version of Ajax and Gilgamesh. Because remember, when Arashem showed Cersei the World Forge, there was multiple copies of them, right? So it stands to reason that out there in some other solar system, in some other galaxy, that there are Eternals that look, that, that's another copy of Hephaestus. They may have a different personality, but have the gifts, powers, and physical presence of Hephaestus. So if we do see Ajax and Gilgamesh back, I think it'll be different copies of them and probably even different uh, personalities. But we'll see. All right, next up. Uh, we've got Fangblaze7, who writes, Don't get me wrong, I love the filthy, but really, in an MCU movie, it didn't fit in and you could feel the awkwardness in the theater. You know what? I thought it did fit in. I thought it did. It was different. Some they haven't done before. Look, they didn't show you Icarus's dick. You didn't see Cersei's ass. They didn't show any nudity. Quite frankly, they didn't show anything that you don't sometimes get on some television. But these are adult characters. More than adult. They're thousands of years old. Well, they think they're thousands of years old. They're actually millions of years old. And uh, they're bumping some nasty. I, I didn't think that was out of place at all. It's just This is me. This is me. And maybe it's because I love the filthy, but yeah, I didn't think it felt out of place. I thought it was beautiful, to be honest with you. I thought it was really beautiful, but that's just me. I think sex is a beautiful thing. All right, Milo writes, I really like this movie. The character dynamics are by far the best part of the film, I agree. The main human-like deviant didn't turn out well, though. I agree with that, too. Like, I, I feel like, how does that, it felt so random. Like, first of all, how does a deviant, because we were just talking about, like, these are, the Eternals are partially biological, maybe, but they're definitely cybernetic at the same time. How does a deviant stick his tentacle, all Japanese porn way, ram his tentacles into an Eternal and get their powers? It's a cybernetic being. I don't understand how that makes sense. But then again, maybe that has something more to do with the fact that we don't yet fully understand how and what the Eternals are. Like, are they 50% biological? Are they 10% biological? Are they 5% biological and 95% cyber? I mean, I don't know. But that just seems strange to me. And I felt like that that hu- that evolved deviant, which we know the deviants can evolve, but it still felt so random that he can stick his tentacle, Japanese porn style, into a toaster and take on the properties of a toaster. That just seems really weird and kind of arbitrary to me. But again, that's what I thought was one of the weaknesses of the film. All right, Michael T. writes, hands down, the worst MCU movie. It failed at being everything an MCU movie is. No heart, oh, disagree. No humor, disagree. No action, disagree. Uh, No third act CGI fest. Well, I mean, yeah, the final act was not a big CGI fact. But I, I mean, listen, Michael, you watched the movie and you had your experience with it. And your experience is no less valid than mine. I'm just saying that mine was very different than yours. My experience was that it had tons of heart and it had great humor and wonderful action. And uh, yes, you and I both agree that it had no third act CGI fest. Hey, listen, we're not all supposed to be here and have the same opinion about a movie. I thank you, sir. I thank you, my film loving brother, that you shared yours. Thanks, man. All right, next up, we've got MCV Multi-Comic Verse writes, 
Blade is confirmed to be the voice in the end credit. Absolutely, he was. Uh, Milo writes, I know I shouldn't take things too seriously, but the chain reaction of events from Tiamat breaching the Earth's crust would have annihilated Earth. Yep, I was thinking the exact same thing. If, if Tiamat was this, let's even say he's smaller than Arashim. Tiamat, if he was planted and growing and seated in the heart of the earth, him now being that big and breaking through to the surface, yeah, no, the, the earth's already done. The earth's already done. Like, he doesn't need to just now swim out of the... Re- I mean, it, it's done. So, yeah, I, I agree with you, Milo. All right, Edward Wells writes... Um, Thanos and Deviants, true MCU heroes, killing humans, Avengers villains, saving them, starting uh, starting the emergence. I guess we... Th- well, no, remember, um, I, I guess, yeah, Thanos and Deviants were keeping the Earth safe by keeping lives... I, I, you know, I didn't think of it that way, Edward. That's, a, that's actually a very different but a very valid observation, my friend. Very valid observation. All right, Jasmine Jones writes, Now that we see Eros, who I don't know much about, played by Harry Styles, I wonder how his character uh, will fit in the MCU and the rest of the Eternals. And that was the voice of Blade. Yeah, it absolutely was. Yeah, what they're going to do with Star Fox, I have no idea. No idea at all. I mean, we don't know... He's portrayed very different ways. Like, it, it, there are different times when, when Eros is portrayed in very, very different ways in the comics. So I don't know how they're going to portray him in this movie. There seems to be a Errol Flynn kind of jovialness to this one, but we'll see where they're going to go with it. But I am very curious to see where they're going to go. I really wanted them to explain what really is the nature of his relationship with Thanos. Are they biological brothers? Are they like, yo, bro, we're brothers now. We've been best friends for so long. I mean, I, I want to know what that is. So we'll find out, Jasmine. All right, next up, My Comic Planet writes, the only really real issue I had with the film was the lack of chemistry between Gemma Chan and Kit Harrington. What? Sorry, it just wasn't there. It was just, I disagree. Oh my, I thought it was really good. I mean, especially the playfulness between them. I lo- And you could just tell that why Gemma Chan or why Cersei would be so taken with that kind of a man, especially after spending 5,000 years with the kind of man that Icarus was. I, listen, I what, I don't think it was as good as Druig and Makari. Don't get me wrong. I don't think it was as good as Druig and Makari. But I adored them as a couple. Right from the first time when she comes into the classroom and the way they're talking to each other, I especially love their interaction and chemistry when they're at the party and they go into the back hallway when she gives him the gift of the ring and stuff like that. I thought it was great. So listen, again, it it hit you a certain way and your experience is no less valid than mine. But yeah, man, I got to say that's 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 one thing I think I disagree with most in this in this video that we've done so far. I really thought it was quite good, but I'm sure there's a lot of people that agree with you, too, brother. All right. Thanks for sharing that. All right, guys, we got just a time for a couple more. Sam Wright writes, hey, John. I like the film, but disappointed as I had high expectations, but overall still enjoyed it. Uh, Kingo's cameraman must be protected at all costs. Karoon was great. And, you know, I, I'm i with you, too. Look, I heard all the stuff. I told you guys about the stuff I heard, that I, you know that there are people inside Disney that think Eternals is the best movie that the MCU's ever made and blah, blah. My expectations were sky high. And Chloe Zhao, the reigning defending director of the year coming out of the Academy Awards, I don't think my expectations could have been higher. 
Eternals did not meet my expectations. Not only is it not, in my opinion, the greatest MCU movie yet, it's not even the greatest MCU movie of the year. I mean, that that's Shang-Chi. That aside, I still thought it was a very solid film that I enjoyed very much, um, and uh, I liked a lot. So I've kind of a lot of the same thoughts as you do, Sam. All right, next up, uh, where are we at here? We're at Sam Wright, who writes, A lot to take in, so I'll, I will need a second watch. Yeah, I remember I didn't really fully form... I mean, I liked it the first time I saw it, but I didn't really was able to really kind of articulate my real thoughts on until after I saw it at least my second time. I need a second watch. Interested to see how the Eternals are used in the future MCU projects. What are your thoughts? I mean, no idea how they're going to be used moving forward. It does look like, depending on how Dane fits into it, it does look like the next chapter of the Eternal story is going to be definitely just all in space. Because Eros has showed up, Athena, Makari, and Druig are want to go. They're on a search. They're trying to figure out what the hell happened to Fastos, uh, Cersei, and Kingo. They figure out it must have been Arashem. Arrow shows up. I know where your friends are. So I, it, it at least seems to me that the next one is totally going to be galactic. It's going to totally be in space, the next one. How they're going to do it, I don't know. A lot of questions still, but I think it's at least going to be all off Earth. All right, next up. My Comic Planet writes, with 47% critic and 81% audience score, but 71 million opening weekend, once the dust settles, will Marvel have the guts to greenlight an eternal sequel? Absolutely, if that was their plan in the first place. Kevin Feige does not, is not reactionary. He doesn't deviate his plan. He goes, oh no, we hit a road bump. Well, let's change our direction. That's not what Kevin Feige does. Kevin Feige also doesn't go, oh, we had kind of an unexpected success. All right, let's change our direction. No, no, no. Kevin Feige does what Kevin Feige plans to do. Like I said earlier, I don't know if they're planning a straight... I don't know if the plan was ever to do a straight-up Eternal sequel. Maybe it was. But whatever the plan was, sequel or some other variation, that's what they're going to do. Kevin Feige ain't changed. And if his plan was to do a sequel, then that's what they're going to do. Uh, I think especially he'll be buoyed up by the 80-plus percent audience rating. That that tells him they're on the right path. The 71 million opening, which is roughly the same as uh, Shang-Chi, which they were celebrating, I think all that points to him definitely going to move in the same direction. All right. Next up, Fang Blaze writes, I personally thought Eternals was good, but I think this might be the most divisive MCU movie made yet. So many people say top five, and a lot are saying bottom five. True but I don't know that you can say it's the most divisive one. Give me a second here to look this up. Um, Thor 2. Let me let me just see. Although this one doesn't really work because they hadn't verified the scores yet at this point. But okay, the scores weren't verified yet. But if you look at Thor 2, it's got a 75% audience rating. That is a lower audience rating than Eternals. I think what it is safe to say, Fang Blaze, that it's absolutely the most divisive amongst the critics. The critics are almost completely evenly divided over this. Let me bring it up. Um, see where we're at right now. So, as of right now, it's 47%. So, you got 53% and 47%. You've got critics basically completely split over this movie. So it is absolutely fair to say as far as from a critical point of view goes, the Eternals is the most divisive one yet. Not so much with the audience. 
like with an 80% critic score or audience score. And by the way, what about something like, um, let me see, check this one out. I'm not quite sure what the audience, yeah. Uh, Iron Man 2, even lower, 71 audience score. So that was more divisive than Eternals. So with the critics, yes, most divisive film they've done. Not the most divisive film by by a bit uh, that they've, uh, with the audiences at any rate. All right, guys, listen. We've gone over an hour for part two, so clearly we're going to have to do a part three. But let's do one more here with Joseph Michael, who writes, If you haven't seen Eternals in IMAX, you haven't seen it at all. Beholding the sight of Aramish the Judge and the World Forge on a six-story, one by 40, 1.43 by 1 ratio screen, like at the AMC CityWalk, is beyond overwhelming. Chef's kiss. Mwah. Yeah, one of my screenings was on an IMAX screen. And... First of all, on any screen, even in the AMC Prime, that moment when Aramesh the Judge shows up over Earth with that face in the beyond the clouds, overwhelming. But I would agree with you that on the big screen, on the IMAX screen, even more overwhelming. Even more overwhelming. I don't think the movie needs to be seen in IMAX. I still think the overall better viewing experience is an AMC Prime with that dual laser projection and the Dolby Atmos surround sound. But there are moments in Eternals, particularly that one, that you're not going to get the full overwhelming awe of it unless you see it on that IMAX presentation. So I agree with you on that one, Joseph. Okay, listen, guys. There are still more to come. Uh, we've got like Fang, Blaze, Harry, uh, more from My Comic Planet and Jasmine and others. Do not worry, guys. Tomorrow we're going to do a part three. We had so many of you guys write in so many comments. We're going to do a part three. Uh, I would go longer right now, but I already did uh, a two-hour show earlier today. Uh, now a little over another hour here. My voice is starting to go a bit, and i got to make sure I still have my voice for the John Campion show tomorrow. So we will do part three, which I think will probably be our final part of this. Uh, on tomorrow, uh, tomorrow night, we'll put a part three of this. So if we haven't seen your comment or question gotten around to yet, come on back tomorrow, and we'll do it there. But for now, guys, that'll do it for part two of our open spoiler discussion about Eternals. Thank you to everybody who's sending in your thoughts, giving us really great perspectives on Eternals and varying opinions on Eternals. That's awesome. That's what this is all about. Because of that, and you also supported our channel as you did it, and all of us involved with the John Campus Show, thank you guys so very much for your support. Okay, guys, that'll do it for me for now. Remember to do the four main things. Please take care of yourselves, be smart, be safe, and take care of the people around you. That'll do it for me, guys. My name's John Campion, and until next time, my friends, bye-bye.